While they're going down this morning, I'll go ahead and, uh, and uh, let you know uh, it is a joy of mine today to see this young man speaking today. He's, he's, uh, I've become quite fond of him. I get to fish with him and uh, early on when he came down, I knew he'd be here about a year. His wife's in Turkey for a year and, and I knew he, uh, he wasn't working. I said, well now you have a degree in engineering. Don't you want to get a job as an engineer? He says, no, I don't feel that call. And I said, well, I know you have your master's in business administration. Don't, plenty of banks would like to have you. He said, I just don't feel like it. I said, I believe the Lord's got his call on your life. And I felt that way since he's been here. He does an extremely good job rotating in our Sunday school class and he does a good job filling in when we need him on Wednesday nights. It's my honor this morning to, to bring him on. Chad Hoosier, come buddy. Good morning, brothers and sisters, and thank you, Ed, for the introduction. As you said, my name is Chad Hoosier, and today I'm filled with a whole host of emotions that unfortunately feels like a mild heart attack. So if I pass out, I know there's a lot of EMS guys here, so feel free to come up. But of all those emotions, two really stand out. The first is thankfulness. I'm thankful to God that I can be here to give you a message that I believe with all of my heart is for you. The people that will be in this room, the people that might hear it on the radio or the internet, whatever you want to call it, this message is for y'all. And to be a part of that has me be to be thankful. In addition to being thankful, I am excited. Because just as Betsy said, Today is Palm Sunday, the start of the week where our Lord and Savior gave his life, the day where he entered Jerusalem, and the joy could not be contained. Everyone in that town was going to cut palm branches, taking their coats off and laying them on the ground and crying out to him and rejoicing. And there's a very specific reason For their joy. Now today, this message I started in a lot of different ways. But as I started to think about it and pray to God and ask God, God, what do you want to tell your people? One question kept coming to the surface. One thing kept coming up that I could not ignore. And it was a question. Where does joy come from? I look out at my friends, my family members, my loved ones, in a lost world, seeking joy. And so I have to ask God, where does that joy come from? And I'd ask you, think for a moment in your life, where does your joy come from? Now, as you think about that, I have a very specific definition for you. And I want to contrast joy with happiness. Because the two emotions feel extremely similar. I'd almost argue that they feel the same. They provide a pleasure, a contentment in your life. All of us know here what happiness is. But the difference I want to make between joy and happiness is that happiness is temporary. Happiness is based on your circumstances. 
when life is hard, when you're going through trials and suffering, it's hard to have happiness, to be content. But joy is different. Regardless of the circumstances, your joy, once you find it, is permanent. It cannot be taken from you. It doesn't come from within us. We have to find it. And when we do, it will never go away, regardless of your circumstances. So we know what we want to look for. A permanent contentment that withstands all circumstances. So where do we look for it? As I thought this over and I prayed about it, God made it clear. There's only two places where we can look for joy. One is the world, the natural, in and of itself, the world. The other is God, the spiritual, and looking to Him. So, we know what we're looking for. We know where to look for it so we can begin our journey. So we'll start by looking at the world. And when I got there, I was saying to myself, Father, what does the world even say provides joy? If I'm going to look for joy in the world, what does the world even say about it? I think we all know with any bit of life experience that the world will tell you that joy comes from achievement, success, possessions, wisdom. And again, based on your own personal life experience, and I'll speak from mine, when I've had a little bit of achievement, a little bit of success, some possession that I desired, I got it. And it left me a little bit hollow. Now maybe for a time I was happy. Maybe for a time I felt contentment. But as times got hard, there was suffering, there was pain. That happiness, that thing, no longer fulfilled me. It didn't bring contentment into my life anymore. But you could argue, Chad, you just haven't had enough. And this is a dangerous trick that the world plays. If you had a little bit more success, a little bit more wisdom, if you had a little bit more of a possession, then when you got there, you could have your joy that you're seeking. And I could say, okay, that's good. But I would argue, from the point of a man who had everything, he had reached the pinnacle of achievement of the world, says, if you have this, you will have joy. And that man is Solomon, the wisest man to ever live. And he tells us clearly, verbatim, what it means to look to the world for whatever you may be pursuing. And he writes it out for us in the book of Ecclesiastes. And the entire book is a wonderful book of wisdom that I would encourage you to go through if you haven't. But today we'll focus on the first two chapters. As I look at chapter 1, verse 16, Solomon tells me, I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me. This is critical for two reasons. The first is that the world says, one of the things the world says, if you have wisdom, if you have intelligence, if you're bright, you can have joy in that. So he meets that qualification. He is wiser, excuse me, there's those emotions. 
He is wiser than any man before him in Jerusalem, and he is the wisest man to ever live. The second thing, and please hear me on this, he is qualified. He is the wisest man to ever live. He can look at his life, and he can see what it was worth and what was in it, and he can tell us with a good, solid, firm reason what it means. And luckily for us, he does. As we move forward and we look into chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, Solomon goes over his achievements, over his possessions. And he tells us that he had more achievement and more possessions than anyone before him in Jerusalem. This is a man who was wiser than we will ever be. He has done more than we will ever do and had more stuff than we will ever have. So he is at the pinnacle of what the world says. If you have this, you should have joy. And so what does he do with that joy, or with these things? In verse 10, he says, All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. He met every desire. And if you get at the heart of what the world tells us, it says, basically, if you can meet every desire of your heart, every pleasure that you want, if you can do that, then you'll have what you're looking for. And specifically in our message today, we're focused on joy. And so, he was there. There is no more little bit more. He had it all. And in verse 11, he tells us what it means. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity, and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. This extremely wise man that we should listen to, who had everything the world has to offer, tells us it was useless. It was meaningless. It provided me with nothing. So at this point in our journey, I am hopeless. The one thing that we're seeking is joy. And when we look to the world, it doesn't offer joy. But the hope is destroyed even more because his message is not limited to joy. The world offers nothing. While we look for joy, you could replace it with love, contentment, to be known, understood, valued, cherished. You could replace it with anything, and the world still does not offer it. That is distressing. But thankfully, there's one more place to look. There's one more place where we can go. And maybe we can find joy there. So, we turn to God. We look to God. And there's reason for immediate hope. As we go through the scripture, we see that God has joy. Before when we looked, there was no joy to be found, no joy to be had. But we start to look to God, at the very least, He has joy. More than that, He wants us To have joy. And even better still, He makes a way for us to have that joy. 
So in an immediate 180, from looking at the world where there is no hope, to turning to God, we can see that there is reason to hope. There are a lot of different verses in our Bible that will talk to this fact. But the one I picked out for today is from the book of John, in chapter 15, verse 11. Christ is speaking and he says, These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Christ has joy. He wants to give it to us. And he's made a way for that to happen. Brothers and sisters, as we prepare for Easter, I would encourage you to go back and this week meditate on verses 1 through 10 of that chapter. To try to understand what is he talking about here? What is it that he said that he can conclude with this statement? And I promise you, as you mull it over and you pray about it, God will reveal himself to you and it will only make things better. So, as Ed said, I'm an engineer. And in that same vein, I like things that are practical. College was fine. I hate the theoretical. I like things that I can take and apply to my life now. And as I look through the scriptures, there were two things that jumped out at me about joy and being practical in your life. And it was wonderful because both of them are made available to the believer right at the moment of salvation. So from the very beginning of your relationship with Christ, there is cause for joy. The first is that when you put your trust, your faith, your hope in Jesus, you secure your citizenship in heaven, where you will spend eternity. So regardless of what happens in this life, regardless of the struggles, the trials, whatever happens, you can always sit back and stop and think. This life is only so long. A hundred years? Compared to eternity, it is a speck of dust. And you will be able to spend eternity in heaven with God. Now, I don't have the time to fully go into why being in heaven is better than being in hell. But I'm pretty sure that you have a good idea. But, some of the things that happen when you go to heaven, you have an inheritance. When you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, immediately you have an inheritance that is there waiting for you. Jesus tells us that he's going to build us a home, make a room for us in his Father's mansion. But more than that, you spend eternity with your Creator, the being that formed you, that knows everything about you, that loves you, that sent His Son to die for you. Even if you were the only person out here in this world, God would have still sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you. That is an incomprehensible, self-sacrificing, and cosmic love that will be with you for eternity. So when times are hard, Believer, think about where you will spend eternity. And when you do that, you have reason for joy. But it is not just my word that you should take. If we look in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-6, through 6, 
Peter tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. In this you greatly rejoice. So that's the first category where we can look to to immediately have joy from the moment of salvation. The second is again at that moment of salvation when you put your trust and your hope in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. And through that presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have access to as much joy as we are willing to accept. Now that phrase should sound weird, and it's purposeful. And I try to be very careful with my verbiage, because specifically the onus is on us. The ball is in our court. God is standing there saying, I have all of this for you. Please, accept it. But you have to accept. The illustration that came to my mind was like a door. You're on one side and Jesus is on the other. And he knocks, you open and let him in. That's your moment of salvation. That is the beginning of your relationship with Christ. But hone in on that word, beginning. It is not the complete relationship. And when he comes into your life, that door is cracked. Just enough of his influence, just enough of his impact comes into your life. That you become saved, which is wonderful. If that was it, we would we should praise him for eternity just because of that. But he offers us more. And it is up to us to open that door. You can open that door halfway, partially, a third, a quarter, whatever you want. Or you could kick it down off the hinges and tell God, I want all of you in my life. I want to accept all of you in my life. How do you do that? Remember, it's a relationship. So by spending time in your Bible, reading your Bible, praying to God, communing with other believers, and meditating on the things of God, you draw Him close to you. You say, God, I accept you. Any relationship that you have, you just stiff-arm the other person and say, hey, thanks, nice to know you. I appreciate you enough. Their impact on your life is minimal. One of the greatest reasons being that you don't care what they say. The same is true with God. You, it is up to you to draw him close. And when you do these things, his impact, his influence on your life increases. If you spend every single day with someone, if you constantly go to them and you say, please help me. I have this going on and I need you. They can't help but be there to support you. And God wants to do that for you. He wants to support you. And so, if we look in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we are told about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you again, it brings along many different things. One of them is joy. And just like that relationship with God, if you nourish it and it grows, this is the same illustration of fruit that you nourish and that it grows, it has a greater impact on your life. So believer, 
If you want more joy in your life, go to God and accept it. I see many believers out there without joy or with minimal joy. And they want more. They want more than just joy, to be sure. And the list from the fruit of the Spirit includes love, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. So much more. But again, we're just focusing on one aspect. But you are not limited to that one aspect. But when they do this, they refuse to go to God. They keep focusing on the world. What can I do to make this better? What can the world do to make this better? Brothers and sisters, God has the answer. He wants to give it to you. But you have to accept it. So to the believer, if you want more joy in your life, focus on your eternal citizenship in heaven. Think about what that really means. And spend more time in your quiet time deepening that relationship to God. Making Him a part of your life so that His impact, His influence can be greater. Now there is one common thread through all of this. And I'm not going to beat around the bush. Joy is only available to the believer. If you have not put your trust and hope in Jesus Christ, you cannot have true joy. And if we look in Luke chapter 10, we see that there are multiple ways for the believer to experience joy. The believer is not limited to just these two. But we learn something important in the last verse. Starting in 17, we are told, The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. And I'm going to pause there. Jesus Christ gave the disciples great authority, and they enjoyed advancing the kingdom of heaven. But if we tease that thread more, where does it go back to? They were able to advance the kingdom of heaven because Jesus gave them power and authority. Jesus gave them power and authority because of their intimate relationship with Him. They had an intimate relationship with Him because they accepted Him. They put their trust and faith and hope in Him. It all goes back to salvation. As I was going through the Bible, and specifically the New Testament, joy comes up 67 times. Each one ties back to salvation. To finish verse 20, Jesus says this, But rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Of all the joy we can have, of all the venues that Christ provides to us to have joy, there is one above all that he says rejoice in when our names are recorded in the book of heaven. My question to you, please hear me, is your name recorded in the book of heaven? If it is not, do not delay. Jesus Christ came 
for you. He lived the perfect life to die for you on the cross. And he was raised from the dead so that you could have a path to salvation. So that you could spend eternity in heaven with God. So that you could have joy now. As we end the service, the music will play and I'll come to the front. If your name is not recorded in the book of heaven, come up. And we will talk about it. And we will get it recorded in there now. If today is too soon and you need more time, I encourage you, I implore you, do not wait too long. We do not know what the future holds for us. And once we are gone from this physical world, there is no more time to choose. So I would encourage you, take this week, meditate on John 1 through 10, include 11, and focus on the message and ask yourself, where do I find my joy? What has the world really done for me? And come back next Sunday. Hear the message of salvation, the message of Easter from Royce Williams, a true evangelist. He will not disappoint you. Thank you for your time.